Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 30th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folds with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. A petition to reopen a case for new and further disability requires a showing that the disability actually changed from the time of the original award. This element is often overlooked. The Court of Appeal reminded the WCAB of this requirement in the unpublished opinion of State Compensation Insurance Fund versus WCAB and Vincente Romero. Romero suffered a stroke in 2002 while employed as a bus driver by Four Winds Incorporated. Romero's consulting physician, Nachman Brotbauer, concluded that the stroke had been caused by an infection of the tissue inside the heart and valves known as infective endocarditis. Brotbauer said that the agent causing the infection most commonly gains access into the circulatory system through dental treatment or a skin infection with open sores. He ruled out dental treatment because he saw no evidence of dental procedures in the several weeks prior to the stroke. Romero had, however, injured his finger with a hammer at work causing his nail to come off. Dr. Brotbar indicated, therefore, that the streptococcus could have entered his system through a skin infection or open sore on the finger. At the time, Dr. Brotbar said that Romero was totally and permanently disabled. In 2006, Romero and the state fund entered into a stipulation that Romero had suffered an industrial injury to his internal system with permanent disability at 35%. Romero then petitioned to reopen his 2002 injury case for new and further disability on June 5, 2007, 30 days before the five-year time limit ran out. Dr. Alvin Markovitz was then designated as the agreed medical evaluator to review his petition to reopen. Dr. Markovitz noticed that the records from Torrance Memorial Medical Center showed that Romero had in fact undergone a dental procedure two or three weeks before his stroke. Dr. Markovitz concluded that Romero was totally disabled. The state fund then petitioned to reduce his disability more than five years after the date of injury and more than 30 days after Romero's petition for new and further disability was filed. The work comp judge denied the state fund's petition and granted Romero's petition, increasing permanent disability from 35 to 100 percent. The WCAB denied the state fund's petition for reconsideration. The Court of Appeal reversed the WCAB and reinstated the 35% prior award. The court did not find good cause to increase the award from 35 to 100%. The Labor Code allows a reopening of a case within five years based upon the ground that the original injury has caused new and further disability. Romero was declared totally and permanently disabled before the stipulation to a 35% award. Neither the nature nor extent of his permanent disability had changed with time. The court concluded that there is simply no new and further disability that supports an increase of the original award to 100%. The award of increased permanent disability to 100% was therefore annulled. Ralph's Grocery Company prevailed in litigation over an employee's fraudulent concealment claim. Here's what happened in the unpublished opinion of Mirage versus Ralph's Grocery Company. Shanti Mirage was attempting to raise the flag on the flagpole at the market where she worked early one morning. 
She suffered a severe neck fracture and other injuries when a shopping cart, which had been hoisted up the pole as a prank by third parties, fell on her head. The store director pulled into the parking lot to start her shift and was informed by an employee that something had happened. The director saw Mirage on the ground, bleeding from her head, but saw no shopping cart on or near her and did not know what had happened. Emergency responders were called while the store director held a towel to the bleeding plaintiff's head. When paramedics arrived, the store director told them she did not know how the accident occurred. Later that day, the store director was informed that a shopping cart may have fallen from the flagpole, so she told one employee to call the police and make a report, and another employee called the hospital to report the possible cause. Mirage received workers' compensation benefits for her injuries. She also sued Ralph's for negligence, premises liability, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and fraud and deceit. There is an exception to the exclusive remedy provisions in Labor Code 3602 when the employee's injury is aggravated by the employer's fraudulent concealment of the existence of the injury. Mirage claimed that Ralph's failure to inform the paramedics that she had been hit on the head by a shopping cart hoisted up the flagpole and the delay in calling the paramedics was sufficient fraudulent concealment to apply this exception. The trial court disagreed and granted a summary judgment motion filed by Ralphs and dismissed her case. The Court of Appeal in the unpublished decision of Shante Mirage versus Ralphs Grocery Company affirmed the dismissal in favor of the employer. Labor Code 3602b2 provides a narrow exception to the exclusivity rule. This provision was enacted in 1982 and codifies the common law fraudulent concealment exception that was enunciated by the Supreme Court in the 1980 decision against John Mansfield Products Corporation. Three conditions are necessary for the fraudulent concealment exception to apply. One, the employer must have concealed the existence of the injury. Two, the employer must have concealed the connection between the injury and the employment, and three, the injury must have been aggravated following the concealment. The Court of Appeal concluded that nothing in this series of events suggests that the store director or anyone else employed by Ralphs concealed the existence of plaintiff's injury or its connection to her employment. And now our fraud report. Sim Carlisle Hoffman, MD, and others have been arrested and will face criminal charges arising out of medical care provided to Southern California injured workers. Federal court records reflect that Hoffman is the medical director of Advanced Professional Imaging Medical Group and also owns and operates Better Sleeping Medical Center, which provides sleep testing services. He is also an owner, officer, and or shareholder of Advanced Medical Support, which provides interpreter and translation services, and Pacific Medical Supplies and Services, which provides transportation. Hoffman also owns and operates California Psychologist Care, Access Plus Incorporated, Pacific Neurodiagnostic Medical Group, Pacific Care Medical Group, and Diagnostic Imaging Network Medical Group. Most of these entities are headquartered in Buena Park, California. Hoffman has been involved in state and federal litigation with Zenith Insurance Company and others over his medical bills. Orange County Sheriff's arrest logs confirm the May 18th arrest of Thomas Michael Herrick, a physician, and the May 19th arrest of Sim Carlisle Hoffman, also a physician. Sheriff's records also show the May 18th arrest 
arrest of Luis Umberto Santillan, listed as a hearing representative. All three are shown as being released on bail. Orange County Superior Court records show the three to be defendants in a criminal case, along with the fourth defendant, Beverly Mitchell. The case against Hoffman alleges 1,884 criminal counts. Mitchell is charged with 848 counts. Herrick faces allegations of 594, and Centillion is charged with 282 criminal counts. Allegations range from conspiring in and avoiding and abetting, aiding and abetting the unauthorized practice of medicine, making false or fraudulent claims, fraudulent claims for health benefits, and other similar charges. Other than the above, information obtained from public and court records, little else is known about the case. However, the case does appear to be a major criminal fraud prosecution. Valerie Thompson and her husband, Earl James Thompson, have been charged with one count each of premium fraud. The couple are the officers and managers of Russell Thompson Incorporated, a second-tier framing subcontractor hired to construct dormitories at the University of California, Davis. The owners allegedly submitted certified payroll reports to the Employment Development Department listing paid wages of over $900,000 to their employees. However, they failed to report this same amount to the State Compensation Insurance Fund. A search warrant was used to seize the company's financial and business records. A financial audit was performed by the state fund and it was determined that the company had underreported close to $358,000 in premiums. If convicted, both could face up to five years in state prison and a $50,000 fine. Each of the subjects has been released on $10,000 bail. And in legislative news, each year the California Chamber of Commerce identifies proposed California law that it claims will have an adverse effect on our business climate. The new list of 2011 job killer bills includes 28 proposed new laws. Two of the bills that made the list this year relate to workers' compensation. AB 375 establishes several workers' compensation presumptions for direct patient care workers at acute care hospitals statewide. It establishes presumptions that blood-borne infectious diseases, neck or back impairment, and MRSA arise from employment for the purposes of work comp benefits. AB 1155 increases costs and lawsuits in the work comp system by eroding the apportionment provisions of SB 899. Under this bill, apportionment based on risk factors such as age, race, or gender is eliminated. Many of the remaining bills that make the list deal with other job-related issues important to employers. AB 10 creates uncertainty by imposing an automatic indexing of the minimum wage based on inflation, whether or not California is in a recession, and increases the minimum wage while California struggles to recover from the recession. AB 22 limits private employers' ability to use consumer credit reports for legitimate employment purposes unless the information in the report is substantially job-related and for a managerial position. AB 59 expands family and medical leave rights and creates an increased burden on employers and creates a California-only mandated benefit different than the Federal Family Leave Act. AB 400 expands both public and private employers' costs and liability by mandating employers to provide paid sick leave for employees. 
AB 559 increases business litigation costs by limiting judicial discretion to reduce or deny exorbitant attorney fees in fair employment and housing claims. AB 1062 increases litigation costs for employers by eliminating the right to appeal a court order, denying or dismissing a petition to compel arbitration, driving more cases into the court system. AB 1208 creates uncertainty, inefficiency, and unpredictability for litigants by decentralizing control of trial court funds. SB 242 worsens California's reputation as a highly litigious state by exposing tech's tech sector employees to unlimited civil liability and creates an unworkable regulatory scheme with which internet companies must comply. The Chamber of Commerce will continue to monitor legislation and will update this list with new developments. In years past, Governor Schwarzenegger vetoed many of the bills on the list. In 2010, he vetoed 10 of them. This year, the business community faces a far more uncertain outcome with Governor Brown. And in financial news, Employers Holdings said it has expanded its discounted workers' compensation coverage to small businesses in four more states through the National Federation of Independent Business, or the NFIB. And they intend to expand the program into nine more states in July. Employers launched its relationship with the NFIB in 2009 when the NFIB endorsed Employers California program. An endorsement for Florida followed in 2010, followed by several other states earlier this year. Last month, employers said it was expanding its NFIB discounts to companies in Indiana, North Carolina, Virginia, and Missouri. In July, the company plans to launch NFIB-endorsed programs in eight more states, Minnesota, Kentucky, South Carolina, Nevada, Idaho, Utah, Iowa, and Oregon, plus a co-endorsement in a ninth state, Montana. Depending on the state, qualifying NFIB members are eligible to receive either a 5% discount or a 5% flat dividend on workers' comp insurance policies with employers. Members can access this benefit through employers-appointed independent agencies. Employers currently writes business in 30 states plus Washington, D.C. Employers was launched in 2000, and in 2002, employers expanded to the West Coast with the acquisition of business from Fremont Compensation Insurance Group. In 2008, employers expanded to the East Coast with the acquisition of Amcomp Incorporated. Total premiums for workers' compensation insurance in California increased nearly 3% to $7.1 billion in 2010. This was the first increase in total premiums in five years. Total premiums in California's workers' compensation system peaked at $16.1 billion back in 2004. The top workers' compensation insurer in the state last year was the California State Compensation Insurance Fund with $1.14 billion in written premium and a market share of 16%. The current state fund market share is lower than the 2009 level. Zurich Financial Services Group remained number two with $661.1 million in written premiums and an 8.6% market share. Travelers Insurance Group was third with $550.9 million in written premiums and a 7.7 market share. Next were American International Group Incorporated with $540.2 million in written premiums and a 6.5% market share. 
And Hartford Fire and Casualty Group, with $452.6 million in premiums and 6.4% market share, came next. And now our medical report. Some anti-inflammatory painkillers commonly used to treat industrial injuries are known to increase heart risks, and a new study says that even a couple of days of treatment can be dangerous for people with a history of heart problems. A group of researchers from Denmark found that people who had experienced a heart attack and took non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs had a 45% higher risk of having another heart attack or dying within seven days of treatment. After 30 days of treatment, the increased risk reached between 55 and 65% relative to people who did not take the NSAIDs. Researchers claim that there is no apparent safe therapeutic window for NSAIDs in patients with prior heart attack. These findings confirm a 2007 scientific statement from the American Heart Association concerning these drugs. When people with heart risks have pain, they should pick the safest drug in the lowest dose needed to control the symptoms. And use of these drugs should be for the shortest period of time. NSAIDs include over-the-counter medications like aspirin, ibuprofen, marketed as Advil, Motrin, and other brands, and naproxen, contained in Aleve, as well as prescription arthritis drugs known as COX-2 inhibitors. The COX-2 inhibitors were first linked to an increased risk of heart attack and other cardiovascular problems in 2004, and two of the drugs, Vioxx and Bextra, were pulled from the market. A third COX-2 inhibitor, Celebrex, remains on the market. But subsequent studies also raised concerns about the possible heart risks of some of the older over-the-counter NSAIDs. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for some more news.